You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we give you such thanks for this day. Lord, thank you for gathering us here together. Um, and Lord, today I want to give you a special thanks for your disciple Peter. Um, Lord, thank you for all we get to know about you um, through him. Thank you, Lord, for the way you used him. Thank you, Lord, for um, the special call you had on his life. And so now, Father, I pray that as we look at Peter, pray that we would um, look even more at you. And I pray that um, you would bless this time. I pray that you would send your spirit to guide us and direct us and open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the things you want to show us. We love you, God, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, John. So good to see you. All right, so today's class is the first of a three-week series on the Apostle Peter. And to be completely honest with you guys, my decision, hey, Catherine, this this decision to do this three-week series was completely selfish. I, um, I just love Peter, and I thought it'd be fun to teach a class on him. I find him completely fascinating. I find him completely relatable. And so when it got time for, you know, me to teach another class, I thought, I want to, I want to teach about Peter. So thank you all for um, indulging me in this. And like I said, this is a three-week series. It's unfortunately going to be broken up, not completely um, chronological. But this week we're going to focus on kind of the beginning of Peter, Peter the, the disciple, the one who's called by Jesus. We're going to look at some kind of key moments between Peter and Jesus. Hello, Gil. The following, not the following week, but the next lesson will be Peter the betrayer. So we're going to look at, you know, the infamous scene of Peter denying Jesus and what happens thereafter. And then the third lesson will be Peter post-resurrection. And we're going to, one, one hope of this class is hopefully that if you come to all three or listen to all three, you see some form of transformation in Peter. It's not going to be a total transformation because that's our guy Peter for us, but I do think it's really fascinating to take a look at the Peter we see in John 1 versus the Peter we see in 2 Peter or in Acts. It's a really cool thing to witness. So a couple things to get us started before we look at these scenes. The the bad news is that, uh, I need to get a little bit closer to my computer. The bad news is that we are all like Peter. This is something I hope we see, that in one way or another, we have a lot of Peter in us because Peter is someone who, if you've hung around Gil Cracky long enough, you know the word, the term simul. Anyone have heard that term before? That it's a Luther term. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna botch it, Gil, but it's the idea that we are simul justus et peccator, something. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's just a fancy way of saying we are at the same time saint and sinner. And I think you don't get a better picture of this than in Peter. On the one hand, he's someone who really wants to follow Jesus. He's got this beautiful desire to know Jesus, to serve him, to love him, to be close to him. He's He has these incredible moments of faith and these credible moments of revelation. At the same time, Peter is, I mean, he's, he's helpless. He's at the same time completely prideful. You know, he's the one that says, I would never betray you. I would never do such thing. And then, of course, a couple chapters later, he does just that. He has terrible self-knowledge. 
He's, he's really insecure. He's always trying to figure out what he needs to do. You know, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive someone? Seven? Is that going to be enough to make me okay? He's really insecure. He's always trying to prove himself to Jesus. He's always trying to go the extra mile for Jesus. He's always just kind of missing the mark when it comes to what Jesus wants to show him. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, this is big. This is a big thing with Peter. Peter is always trying to find an identity that's man-made. Peter really wants an identity that is of flesh and blood. He, it's not enough for Peter to just rest in who Christ declares him to be. Peter's got to always kind of make himself a little bit extra. So, and maybe even you're like Peter in the sense that you've turned your back on Jesus. I know I have. Um, so that's the bad news. We're all like Peter. The good news, though, is that Jesus is in constant pursuit of Peter, just as he's in constant pursuit of you and I. Jesus is not okay with letting Peter be Peter. He's going to come after Peter. He's going to offer him time and time and time again to restore him back to relationship with him. There's this, I, I think another thing you see as you study Peter more and more is that Peter and Jesus, they're tight. They know each other. They've got this cool friendship Um, maybe even closer to a brotherhood. But it's a really beautiful thing to witness between Jesus and Peter is their relationship and the way that Jesus comes after sinners like you and I and like Peter. So I'm just going to move my computer all the way up here. Um, Before we look at some stories in the Bible that showcase Peter, let's cover some Peter basics, Peter 101, if you will. Okay. We know that Peter was a fisherman from Galilee. This is definitely not what Peter looked like, by the way, but um, it's, it was the most popular one by far on Google Images. So, okay, he was married. Bible trivia, anyone know how we know Peter was married? Mother-in-law. What about her? He was at her house. Yeah, and what happened to her? Right on. Yes, there's that scene where um, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So we don't know who the wife was, but we know that he had a mother-in-law. Okay, um, often Peter is the spokesman of the disciples. We'll see that in a couple of these scenes. He was also a member of Jesus's inner ring. Jesus obviously never referred to them as such, but you do notice that um, out of the 12, Jesus um, moves towards Peter, James, and John especially. And then we are alluded to this at the very end of John. But um, according to Clement, Peter was executed at the end of the first century in Rome. Anyone know how? Hung upside down. Yes. Pretty brutal. I did not know that, Catherine. That's cool. I'm going to have to research that for week three. He was worthy of Christ. Now that is really cool. You. I don't know where I learned that. Man, even Peter gets cooler and cooler the more you study him. Okay, so we're going to look at five scenes. Hopefully we have time to make it through all five. But um, each one we're just going to focus a little bit on what we learn about Jesus and what we learn about Peter's relationship with Jesus through these scenes. Okay, the first one. So the, the first time we meet Peter and John is a little bit different from the first time we meet Peter in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Most scholars agree that this scene we're going to see in John is indeed the first time versus the synoptic accounts, there's a sense in which Peter and Jesus already know each other. It's just the first time we're introduced to him. But I, I am prone to believe that this account in John is indeed the first time Jesus and Peter meet. So this is from John 1. 
The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asks, asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon, Peter, and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Okay, really cool story here. So we've got Andrew and another disciple, maybe John, we don't know, following after John the Baptist. And they see Jesus walking by, and John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. The NIV leaves out the, who takes away the sins of the world part. But the first thing I think that's worth noting about this passage is, this is such a, to me, a beautiful picture of evangelism. Because Andrew meets Christ, and what is the first thing Andrew wants to do? In verse 41. Tell other people about him. Exactly, Ann. Yes. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon. And I'm probably reading too much into the, te- into the text here. I'm, this is speculation. It's not biblical. But I, I do have to wonder if Andrew knew his brother Peter well enough to know, my brother Peter really needs to meet this guy. My brother Peter, who's so insecure and so prideful and is always trying to prove himself to other people, this guy has something that my brother will just love. I think it's a beautiful picture of evangelism. It's the come and see approach, you know. Come meet a man who told me all I ever did, as the woman at the well would say. So that's the first thing I want us to notice is just how how natural and beautiful Andrew's evangelism is to his brother Peter. Second thing is note how, like I said earlier, Jesus is in constant pursuit of Peter. Peter doesn't come looking after Jesus. Jesus, via Andrew, comes and finds Peter. And that, that's going to be a big theme in Peter's life. It's always going to be Jesus chasing after Peter because otherwise Peter would be helpless. Another thing to note is look at the way that automatically, right off the bat, Jesus gives Peter a new name and a new identity. Here's what's super significant about this. For someone like Peter, who is always, always, always trying to cultivate an identity for himself, through earthly things, all Jesus has to do is just look at him. Peter doesn't have to prove himself to Jesus. He doesn't have to work extra hard. He doesn't have to um, religiously perform for Jesus. All Jesus does is he looks at him. And before Peter can do anything, he's given a new name and a new identity. And we see too that Jesus, he knows Peter. You are Simon, son of John. I know you, Peter. I know where you come from. I know who your people are. And I want to give you a new name and a new identity because I've got big things in store for you. I just find that so, it's so beautiful that all Peter, Peter's just standing there and Jesus looks at him and he names him. He knows him. He affirms his identity and also gives him a new one. So that is, that's another thing to note. And remember the the intimate relationship I mentioned between Jesus and Peter. I think we're seeing that forming here. So this is the first time we meet Peter in John. Let's look next at the, oh, I've meant to say this. This is where my friend Joseph comes in. Talking about um, the relationship between Peter and Jesus, I think is so special. 
Joseph Menendez taught me this the other day that in Mark, I do believe, um, after Jesus has arisen and he meets Mary, or maybe it's Mary Magdalene. Do you know Joseph? What, do you remember which Mary it is? No. I don't either. He meets one of the Marys at the tomb and he says, go tell Peter and my disciples that I've risen from the dead. To me, that is so cool that Jesus knows that Peter needed that extra that extra um, identification. Peter had turned his back on Jesus. He had died. Who, who can imagine how shameful Peter was feeling? And yet Jesus knew Peter well enough to say, go tell Peter and my disciples. In other words, make sure Peter, my betrayer, knows that I've risen from the dead. I think that's just so cool. So thank you, Joseph, for teaching me that recently. All right, so that's the first time we see Peter in John. This is uh, the first time we meet Peter in Luke. Again, I think that even though this is the first time he's mentioned here, Peter and Jesus have already met. So this is what happens in Luke 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, I'm sure Gil's about to go see that, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, another really cool Peter story. And what I, there are a couple things I want to note here. The first off being is just like in the other story we just read from John, note how Jesus comes to Peter where he is. Jesus is a fisherman, and Jesus comes and he meets Peter in that context. He's showing up in the middle of Jesus, I mean, in the middle of Peter's smelly, dirty, ordinary life. That's where Jesus comes and meets Peter. And you know, with this story, I think in particular, this is really where we see the, the simile in Peter that I was talking about. Because in a lot of ways, this is a beautiful story of, of a beautiful picture of Peter's fate. It's a beautiful picture of the faithful and wonderful disciple that Peter was. Because Jesus comes and he tells Peter, okay, what you need to do is you need to pull out a little more from shore. And Peter, although he might have been rolling his eyes, you know, all right, we'll, we'll see. He obeys. He takes Jesus at his word. And he lets down his nets for a catch. You know, he acknowledges that Jesus is his master. He, he's a faithful, obedient disciple at this moment. Yay, Peter. And, of course, at Jesus' word, a huge haul of fish comes in. And Peter's response here is also a really beautiful one. Because think of Isaiah in the throne room of God when he falls and um, he says, Holy, 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 I'm a man of unclean lips. Same idea with Peter here. Peter seems to recognize that he's in the presence of God. He seems to recognize that this man who's in his boat, who's told him how to fish, something, something is special about him. And in the face of the greatness of God, Peter recognizes his own smallness, his own humility. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
this is an appropriate response. It's an appropriate, humble, wonderful response to being in the presence of the Almighty God. Uh, so another another go Peter moment. We can, you know, there's plenty of bad things to say about Peter, but let's affirm this beautiful moment of discipleship that we see in Peter here. And then again, uh, in a way that Jesus can, in a way that Peter can relate to, Peter affirms and changes Jesus. Uh, Jesus affirms and changes Peter's identity. He says, "You, a fisherman, will now be fishing for people, fishers of men." In a way that Peter can understand, he he gives Peter a new purpose and a new identity. And obviously this, this interaction was enough for Peter and the rest of the disciples in the boats to leave everything and follow him. So we've got our first encounter with Peter and John. Now we've got what that looks like in the synoptics. We're going to move on to another Peter story in a, in a boat. This is perhaps one of the more famous Peter stories. Um, it's a story of Jesus walking on water. We see this in Matthew 14. And I've been, I've been talking a lot, so I would love to have someone else that is in good view of the screen read for me, if you so desire. Thank you, Connor. I just picked up on all those immediately's. I know that's, I know that's a thing in Mark, but that, there's so many immediately's in this story. That's really interesting. Okay, so again, famous story. We've all, we've all seen a picture. We've all, we all know the story. But let's, let's remember the context. Does anyone remember what Jesus has just done, like a paragraph right before this scene. He's done one of his most famous miracles. Exactly, yes. So Jesus has just fed 5,000 people from two loaves and two fishes. Fish. And now we see this moment. And Peter was there, obviously. Peter also had been walking with Jesus for 13 chapters at this point. So he had seen Jesus do some pretty miraculous stuff, including healing his mother-in-law. But of course, that's not enough to convince Peter that Jesus is indeed the one who can save him in the storm. So another cool context thing is that, again, the NIV doesn't say this, but it's the third, the fourth, excuse me, watch of the night. So this is 3 to 6 a.m. So it's the dead of night. And if you've ever been on a boat in a storm, I have not. But it sounds very scary, very, very scary. Um, So it's very understandable why the disciples are freaking out right now. And as usual, Jesus comes to the disciples. He knows exactly when and where and how to approach them. He knows that they are fearful. He knows they're in a storm. And Jesus comes and he meets them in that storm. And he does so in a truly miraculous way of walking on the water. And the reason I love this story is you really do see kind of the battle that Peter is always in between his flesh and his spirit. Because I think Peter's spirit says... Oh my goodness, it's Jesus. I'm terrified and that's Jesus and I know that Jesus can save me. I want to go be near him. I want to call out to him. I want to I want to even take a step of faith out into the rough waters because I know that that's my savior. And and we see that. You know, we can't say the same of the the other disciples at least that we know of. But here's what here's where I think we see Peter's flesh coming in a little bit. So Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. And Jesus calls out to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter's response, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. I, I have to wonder if a little bit of this was Peter feeling like he had to meet Jesus halfway. It wasn't enough for Peter to just trust that the Lord was going to still the storm and that Peter would be okay. It's almost like Peter needed to 
help Jesus rescue him. It's almost like Peter wanted a little bit of um, to prove himself to Jesus, as we see Peter doing time and time again. He, he wants to go be with Jesus. He wants, to, he wants Jesus to rescue him. But Peter also wants to have a little bit of say in it too. It's not enough for, for Jesus just to rescue Peter. So that's kind of where I think we see Peter's flesh coming in in this story. And I don't know about y'all, but I mean, I think the same is always true of me, particularly in a storm. I, I think, okay, I'm going to pray my way out of this. I'm going to be a really good prayer. I'm going to meet Jesus halfway. Or I'm going to work extra hard at work and I'm going to meet Jesus halfway. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure my retirement portfolio is where I want it to be in the storms of my life so that I'm going to meet Jesus halfway. This is, I mean, where I hope we, we see ourselves in Peter. We see this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. We see this similar life that Peter demonstrates for us so wonderfully. And, you know, of course, the, the pivotal thing to know about this story is when is it that Peter begins to sink? Exactly, exactly. When he's looking at what? Yes, exactly. When he's looking at his circumstances rather than keeping his eyes on Jesus. And, you know, I think Jesus' Jesus's response to Peter is really beautiful. I think that Peter, I think that Jesus probably beckoned Peter to come to him on the water because he wanted to show him, let me come and rescue you, Peter. Let me show you that when you keep your eyes fixed on me in a storm, you don't need to do anything else. You don't need to meet me halfway because I'm going to come and rescue you. I'm going to still the wind and the waves myself because I'm your God and you are my people. So if anyone has a different reading of this story, I'd love to hear it. Or if anyone has any thoughts on Peter at any point, please, please, please speak up. But um, yeah, I think I think it's a beautiful picture and another another just classic example of Peter having a faith in Jesus, loving and knowing Jesus, and also still needing to prove himself to him and not just resting in who he is. Hey, Rebecca, what do you think about the fact that Peter says, Lord, if it's you? Mm, that's a good catch. That's um, uh, that's me saying, if you're for real. Right, right. um, You know, tell me what it is that I am to do. If that's really you, Lord. Uh, Yes, I think that's that's very on brand for Peter, as the kids would say. That... (laughs) You know, because the story earlier, Peter took Jesus at his word. Peter said, pull out a little bit further. And Peter's like, okay, I'll do it. But now Jesus is speaking to Peter. He says, take courage. It is I. You can trust me. Don't be afraid. And you're right. There's, there's some doubt there. If it's you, he's not, he's not fully taking Jesus at his word. Um, again, I mean, I think that, that checks out for Peter. He's, he's faithful and yet full of doubt. He believes. Help help his unbelief. So that's a good, good observation. All right. I want to make sure we have time to get to perhaps the most famous Peter scene, maybe second to the, to the betrayal. So this is what we have in Matthew 16. This is, this is a big moment for everyone involved, not just Peter, not just Jesus, but all of us. So this is um, Matthew 16. I'll read it for us. When Jesus came to the re- to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, 
Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Okay, big moment for Peter, like I said. So Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he wants to know, what are people saying about me? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And let's remind ourselves, I know we all know this, but when Jesus asks a question, does he, is he looking for information? No. He certainly knows the answer to every question Jesus has ever asked. He does it because he wants to, he wants to bring things out of his disciples. It's an opportunity for relationship. And then, you know, his disciples kind of him and haw. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah. But then in verse 15, I mean, I think this is one of the most important questions we can ever be asked ever. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? Who, at the end of the day, is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? Is he your savior? Is he your friend? Is he your counselor? Who is Jesus? And Simon Peter, remember he's, he's often the spokesperson for the group. Um, he speaks up and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And you know, for us good churchgoers here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent, we're like, yeah, sure, cool. But remember how just monumental this confession would have been. Because the Messiah was the long-awaited Savior of the Old Testament. Peter and his contemporaries would have grown up wondering, searching for the Messiah. And so for Jesus, for Peter to say, you are the Messiah, it's you, you this Galilean carpenter, you are the Messiah, that's massive. Because what Peter is saying is, you are God, you are, you're the one we've been waiting for. It's an incredible moment of revelation and confession. And Jesus is, is pleased, obviously, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now, I think that it's so key that this is the first thing that Jesus says back to Peter, because he wants to remind Peter, Peter, this has been revealed to you, not because you prayed extra hard, not because you studied in Torah school, not because, was it called the Torah back then? The, you studied the scriptures. It, it's not revealed to you because you've, you've um, figured out something that, that other people can't. It's that I, I have wonderful plans for you and my Father in heaven has decided to reveal this to you. And this is what's so cool to me about Peter is that Peter is fickle. Peter is prideful. Peter is doubtful. And yet, as God always does, he chooses what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chooses weak vessels to do remarkable things. So it's not, it's not through your flesh and blood efforts, Peter, that you know this. It's through my Father in heaven. He's graciously revealed this to you. And then we get this really interesting verse in verse 18. I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, lots of, lots of confusion about this verse. Some people will say that Peter was the first pope and Peter himself was the rock. Um, I think us good Protestants in this room would not hold to that view. Other, I read in one commentary that Jesus was, was referring to himself, you know, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is the rock. I don't think we have enough contextual evidence to know that that's what's up. Um, other people think that it's Peter's confession, you know, 
It's not Peter, but that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's going to be the rock. And I think that's probably the closest. Um, But I also do think that Peter, it's Peter plus his confession. Peter's not completely separated from what he says. Even though Peter is, is just a sinful human, God has incredible plans for him. So upon Peter and his confession of Christ as the Messiah, Jesus will build his church. Note the language here. This is super important. He says, this is I, I, Jesus, will build my church. He has the ultimate authority. But Peter is the first of many, many living stones that will be built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Um, I found a, a really helpful commentary that explained it as, it's not hierarchical, Peter's, Peter's role. It's not hierarchical. He's not more important than the, than the other apostles, but it's chronological. Peter being the first of many stones that will build the, the universal church of God. And Peter himself will affirm this many years later as he's writing in 1 Peter. I could not get it bigger. Oh no, oh no, we're running out of time. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, I really want to make sure we, we um, look at this last story. Right after Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ, Peter, Jesus basically says, all right, well, I'm the Messiah and you know what that means, Peter. I'm going to have to die. And does Peter like this? No, he does not. He does not. He's not a fan of a Messiah that's going to have to suffer and die. Because in Peter's mind, he wants the glory. He wants the honor. He wants the fame. Classic Peter. He's not willing to have a Messiah that's going to suffer and die. Peter doesn't want that kind of life. And yet, Jesus very strongly says, that's thinking like Satan. To have a Messiah that doesn't suffer and die is of is of Satan, not of me. Um, so I wish that there, there's so much more we could say about Peter, but I don't want to keep you here too long. Um, I would love to know, I would love to know any thoughts, comments, questions you have about our boy, Peter. Would you go back to the maybe two passages? Absolutely. Where it says son of Jonah, is Mm -hmm. that? That, that's his actual father. Jonah is, that's a good question though, Molly. Yes, yes. So, I mean, and that's another cool thing too of Jesus knows who Peter is. And he's saying, you know, you're still just Peter, son of Jonah. Don't have much to you. And yet you are the rock on which I will build my church. We were going to also look at the story of, it's funny. I thought I was going to go under, but you never know what's going to happen in Sunday school. Um <laughs> Uh, we were going to also look at the story of the transfiguration. This is one of my favorite Peter moments because Jesus is literally standing there in the glory of God, Moses and Elijah. And what does Peter say? Oh, oh, I'm so glad. It's, a, it's such a good thing I'm here, Jesus. Let me build some tents for you. Let me let me prove myself to you, Jesus. Let me help me help you, Jesus. Uh, clearly, you need it, you glorious God. Um, I just this is where I'm like, oh, Peter, I, I understand you, buddy, far too much. He's always trying to prove himself to Jesus. He's always trying to self-justify. It's never enough that Jesus is literally um, arrayed in glorious light in front of Peter. He's got to do something. Any other other thoughts on Peter? Yes, I love that connection, John. And that's, that's again, where Peter is such a symbol. 
You know, he's walked with Jesus. He has, um, he's seen the risen Lord, but he's still, he's still Peter. He's still got that need to self-justify, even after years and years of walking with the Lord. Um, that, that's such a good, such a good example. Any other thoughts or questions? I'm sorry that we rushed through the end. I could just talk about Peter all day. All right, well, I'll pray for us, and then um, you will be dismissed. Thank you all so much for being here. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we again give you, give you thanks for your servant, Peter. Um, Lord, we, we confess that we are just like Peter, and we confess that we don't understand ourselves. We don't understand our sin. We don't understand um, what it means to follow you, the crucified Messiah. Um, but Lord, thank you that just like Peter, you use us and you love us and you pursue us. And you have great plans for us. Um, so Father, I pray that um, through studying your servant Peter, that we would love you more. We would um, have hearts that want to follow you and seek after you. And Lord, may your word go forth and may it change us. Um, and we, we love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.